morning. Uh, just one announcement before we uh, move into the passage this morning. On May the 5th, you, uh, as you know, we've been partnering with the Hispanic church that has met here uh, once, a, once a month, and they've asked us if we could help them uh, on that day to distribute goods to the Hispanic community. Uh, if you need more details of that, you can come see myself or see Esteban, and we'd love to help you and get you uh, connected with them. They're asking us to uh, kind of do the grunt work so they can do the evangelism, because uh, unless you know Spanish, you're not going to be doing the evangelism. Um, so they need our help to do the work of the ministry so they can do uh, the teaching of the ministry. And so if you'll see myself or Esteban, uh, we'd love to get you plugged in. They've asked for seven to ten volunteers, so please uh, see us. This is a way for us to partner with the gospel to a community that's really unreached here in Murfreesboro. And so for us, it's another way to take the gospel message to those who are still lost. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into Ephesians chapter 4. God, I'm grateful for you and all that you're doing here uh, at Powell's Chapel. And I pray for us this morning as we uh, have sung to you that you would have gotten the praise in that. And now as we come to the reading and teaching of your word, that your, your word would be the thing that would transform us into Christ's likeness. And so we give you this time. Be with us. Be glorified. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. As Jared said, and you know we've been in Ephesians. Uh, we're walking our way really verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And we've titled this series Ecclesia. And Ecclesia means uh, the called out ones. And God from the beginning of time has called out people to himself to be the church. The church is not the four walls of this building. You and I make up the church. So wherever believers gather, it's the church. And yet God has a mission for the church. And the mission of the church is found in the great uh, commandment and the great commission. And that's what we believe here at Powell's Chapel is we want to know God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we want to make him known to the four corners of the world, to the lost people that haven't heard the, the message of the gospel. And so Ephesians is about how that looks, how that walks out practically for us, the church. We've said it this way, that the first half of the book, chapters 1, 2, and 3, are what we, the church, must believe to be true about God. And we must have a healthy uh, a theology of who God is. And our theology in verse, chapters 4, 5, and 6 will be how we practice our theology. How do we live out the gospel message in tangible ways? We've looked at that in chapter 4, chapter 4 started off what it, it must look like to be a unified body. We must be unified as a church uh, to take the gospel message. There can be no division among us, Paul says. We must love one another, Paul says. And now here, he's going to get to uh, a very practical way, very uh, individualized ways of we have to be the church. So he's been talking about the, the, the church as a, as a whole, and now he's going to talk to us as individuals that make up the church. And this is what he says. Jared read this. We're, the title of the message is uh, The New Life. We're going to look at there's this new life that God has given to us through Christ Jesus. It's our salvation. That at the moment of our conversions, there's a new way we were called to walk. In that moment. And that's what Paul's going to address here and so I want to look this morning at two things I want to look 
at the old way of life or the old walk, how we used to walk. And then I want to look at how God's called us to walk. And this is how he says it. He says, now, this I, Paul, the apostle, the one that saw Christ on the road to Damascus, and I say and testify in the Lord. He's speaking on authority. If you look at the word testify, when you have someone that sits in a courtroom and they testify, they're doing it with authority. When you call a witness to the stand and they testify, what the, the witness you're hoping for is that they're a truthful witness. And Paul is saying, before the Lord God, I, I'm telling you the truth. And what's the truth that he's going to tell us? He's going to implore us to do something. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Now, you may be questioning yourself, if you've been with us, we talked about the Gentiles in the first half, and now all of a sudden he says, don't walk like the Gentiles. Well, what, what is Paul meaning by saying, hey, you, you're to associate with the Gentiles, and now he's telling us not to be Gentiles. Well, what Paul is using, the word here in the Greek, simply means this. When he talks about the Gentiles, the Gentiles, if you remember from the Old Testament, we're the ones without the promise. And so he's not talking to us. He's talking to us in a broad sense about not being like the Gentiles. Not to be the ones without the promise is what he's saying. He's now saying, you are believers. You have the promise. No longer walk as those who no longer have the promise. The Gentiles. The Gentiles were ungodly people. They were wicked, wicked people. And so he's saying to us, at the moment of your salvation, you are no longer to walk as ungodly, unholy, unworthy men and women because you've been called by the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he died a perfect, he, he died a perfect sinless life to absorb the wrath of God for us so that in the moment of our conversion, we'd become like him. And so now Paul's imploring us, no longer walk like the Gentiles. He's going to say this to us four different times of what it looks like to walk in the newness of Christ's likeness. We see it, we'll see it next week. He uses the word therefore in chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, do this. Because of your salvation, do this. So anytime the rest of this chat, this, this letter, you see the word therefore, he's referring back to this moment of conversion, your salvation. So, so we see that in verse 25. We see that in the first word of chapter 5. We see that in verse 7 of chapter 5, and we see it again in verse 17. Therefore, no longer walk like the Gentiles. Right? No, no longer, he's, he's going to tell us next, next week to put away our falsehood. He's going to tell us the following week to be imitators of God. He's going to tell us in a few weeks after that that we're not to partner with the world anymore. See, at your conversion and at my conversion and our salvation, everything changed. I said this last week. But my great uh, concern for my own life and for us is, do we really believe that? Not do we know that, but do we believe that? Because when we believe that to be true, we'll walk in the newness of Christ. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to believe. That's what James tells us. 
he, he tells even the demons believe, but they don't know it to be true in their heart, and so they, they don't care. And so my question to us is, are we still walking the old way of life? And so what does that way look like? And so maybe this morning this is a test for us, a searching and fearless moral inventory, if you will, of are we still walking like the Gentiles? He tells us four things, how the Gentiles walked and what that meant. He says, no longer walk like the Gentiles. In what? The first one we see this. No longer walk like the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. So Gentiles walked with futility, and you may say to yourself, well, what does that mean? What does that have to do with us today? We don't use that word very often in our uh, vocabulary, do we? So the word futile means this. It means to be empty and without a purpose. You see, Gentiles and unbelievers, they have no purpose in life. Now, they would say they have purpose, but they have no eternal purpose. And what Paul is saying to us, unbelievers walk around with, with a pointless life. That's not true for believers, is it? And so I, I would ask the question first this morning. Are you empty in your thinking? Meaning this, is all of your thinking about yourself? Is every thought that goes in your mind self-consuming, self-directed, self-initiated, self-goal-oriented? If so, that's an empty way to live. Because what happens when we live that way in our minds, when it's all about us, then we will do anything to gain something for ourselves. We become very self-centered people, do we not? If we have an empty purpose that goes beyond ourselves. And Paul is saying to us, no longer walk with empty thinking. And we'll see in the next half of the passage when we are to walk, how we are to walk, and what we are to think of. Here's what uh, the, the writer of Proverbs says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And what? Lean not on your own understanding. There's a saying that goes like this. My best thinking got me here. That's not good thinking. Like your best thinking, apart from Christ, is pointless. And so Paul says, no longer walk that way. When I use my own understanding, when I do things on my own terms, it never ends well for me. Ever. When I, when I go to... Uh, take care of myself, my own pains, my, my own tragedy, and I do that on my own accord, it, it has never ended well for me. That's how I ended up in rehab for three months. Because of my own best thinking said, hey, this is what will cure the pain that's going on. My best thinking said, do this to cure the pain. I, I tell people this all the time. Alcohol is not your problem. Alcohol is your solution to your problem. The problem is your pain. And the only true solution to that pain is Christ and Christ alone. But our best thinking says, if I drink enough, if I use enough, if I gain enough, if I, you've put in the blank enough, my best thinking says, this is enough and this will bring satisfaction. This will bring fulfillment. And Paul is urging us first and foremost, don't be futile in your thinking. 
And then he says this. Don't be futile in your thinking. They, the Gentiles, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. The next thing that we see is this. Not to be darkened in our understanding. This refers to both the ignorance. You see, unbelievers are ignorant. In the truest sense of the word, the word ignorant means they don't know any better. So a true unbeliever is ignorant to the things of God because of their darkening of their heart, because of their futility of their mind. And yet we, the believer, wants the unbeliever to act like a believer. Well, they're ignorant to the things of God. So they don't know any better. And so Paul, he just told us in chapter 4 what? He gave us the preaching or the teaching gifts for the church to teach the people of God the things of God so they can no longer be ignorant to the things of God. They know no better because they've been taught no better. So Paul is saying they've been darkened in their ignorance because they've not been taught the things of God. Not only does it mean ignorance, but it also means immoral. You see, ignorant, unbelieving people are going to always be immoral people. I'm not saying they're not good people, but they're not righteous. They're not godly. They are immoral. They have no morals. The things of God is not in them because of the darkening of their hearts. And Paul is saying to us, the church, don't be that way. Don't be ignorant and don't be immoral because of your conversion. At the moment of your conversion, everything changed. You're no longer ignorant. Therefore, you can no longer be immoral. You see, if the things of God at our salvation is implanted in us through the Holy Spirit, none of us in the room can be ignorant because the Holy Spirit now resides in us. It's what we would call conviction. He's going to get to conviction in a moment, though. You see, if we live immoral lives, we will live as men and women with no convictions. I, I believe that's the, where the church universal is in great danger today. The church has no convictions. We stand on nothing universally. How, how do I know that? Just turn on the TV. I, I might get in trouble for this one. That's all right, though. How is the church universal okay with killing millions and millions and millions of babies? How is the church okay with homosexual marriages? How is the church okay? You fill in the blank. It's because, church, we've lost our convictions. We've lost our way because of our ignorance and our immorality. Because we live like the Gentiles. We get along to be along. And Paul is urging us, the church, no. No. We can look back over the course of American history. And in the, the 60s is really when the, the, the American uh, society took this huge turn. The moment that God got taken out of the school. Well, church, did we not stand on our convictions and use the voice that God gave us? And 
Paul is urging us. Do not be darkened in your understanding. Well, in the understanding of what? Let's look at verse 18. He tells us. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from God because of their ignorance that is in them. What he is saying to us is they are ignorant and we will become ignorant and immoral if we don't know the truths of God. Where is the truth of God? And this and this alone. Do we, church, saturate our hearts with the word of God? Not with the words of God through a song on the, the radio. Not, not through other people's teaching. Not through books about the Bible. Not through all these things that point us to the Bible. But church, do we saturate ourselves with this word and this word alone? Is this enough for you? Is this enough for me? God says it this way. We, we cannot live by bread alone. He's talking about this. We need this to live. And then he says this. If you've noticed, it's been this progression that he's talking about in this text. He talks about the mind. Now he's going to talk, talk about the, the darkening of our understanding and our ignorance. And now he's going to say all those things are going to lead to this. They lead to and are out of the hardness of the heart. The word hardness means this. It means petrified. If you think about that for a moment, petrified things used to be alive, did they not? If you have a petrified rock from a tree, that tree used to be alive. And what the word Paul is saying, don't be like that. Don't have life. And then because of the hardness of your heart, you become petrified. And what are they Becoming hard towards, they refuse to see Christ for who he really is. I wonder, church, do we refuse to see Christ for who he really is? The son of the living God. Christ always points us to the glory of God. Have we lost our way in that? Or has Christ just been a uh, cheap way to get out of hell? There's no cheapness in grace. There's no cheapness in mercy, but my great fear is that we have used Christ for that and that alone. I've said this from this pulpit, I'll say it again. If the only reason you want to get to heaven is not to go to hell, then you got problems. You may be thinking, what do you mean by that? If your sole desire to get to heaven is not to get to God and God alone, then, then heaven will not matter to you. It's the glory of God that must consume us as believers. That must be our sole desire. If our only reason to get to heaven is to escape hell, we're in grave danger. And yet, that's what the Gentiles were doing. That, that's what they were doing. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what the Sadducees were doing. That's what the Zealots were doing. That's what the Essians were doing. They, they were doing all these moral things so they didn't get to heaven, but they weren't concerned about where they were going. They were just concerned about what they were not doing. That, that's what Jesus came to rebuke. Uh, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's the, the rebuke that there's more to life 
to not getting hell, but getting God's glory. The hardness of our hearts. And then he says this. He says, and they have become calloused. You think about a callous. I don't play a guitar. I'll never play a guitar. Uh, it, will, it will sound like uh, dead cats squalling. Uh, it would not be good. Uh, but I know uh, a bunch of musicians, and they say th- they got to play so much that their fingertips become calloused. And when you get a callous, you no longer feel. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you've gone on and on and on in your sin that you've become calloused to the conviction of God. And I wonder, church, for us, is that true? Have we just gone on sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning that our hearts have become so calloused to the things of God? You see, if you remember back in your life, is there not moments in your life that you have felt strong convictions? And that conviction was so powerful and so on top of you that it's either going to lead you to repentance or it's going to lead you to become more and more and isolated from the things of God. You see, conviction is a gift from God. It's not his chastisement. It's a gift from God when you and I feel conviction. Now, I hate conviction. Anyone in here like conviction? My tendency is to run from conviction. My tendency is to not repent. My tendency is to go into hiding. I must submit myself to God every day so I stay in line with repentance. But there has been moments in my life, and if you're honest with yourself, there's been moments in your life that you haven't heeded to the conviction of God. And in not heeding to the conviction of God, what happens in that moment is your heart becomes calloused. And the more you run from God, the more calloused your heart becomes. To a place that I hope would never happen to anyone, what Paul says, let them go all the way with it then. Does Paul not say that? Paul said they keep on sinning, keep on sinning. Well, let them over to their sin then so that God could win them back over. And my great hope for us, church, is that today, if there is repentance that needs to occur, today would be the day that you rip that callous piece off of your heart and God can speak to you. Now, if you go ask a musician when they lose that callous on their fingertips, it's not, it's not pleasant. Is it, Jared? It's very, very, very painful. And so repentance will be painful. It will be costly, but it'll be well worth it. And that's what Paul was saying to them. They, they have become callous. Well, how have they been, become calloused? He tells us two things. They gave themselves up to sensuality. What, what does sensuality mean? The absence of moral restraint is what it means. Like there's nothing holding them back. I mean, you, we see that in society, do we not? What's okay today, if we had to put what's okay today on the television 60 years ago, uh, my grandmother would have done a backflip. But now today we turn on the TV and we've become so desensitized 
uh, to the world that what's on the TV it just is mainstream television, is it not? I'll never forget being, uh, I, I think I was 12 years old or so, and I'll never forget the first homosexual character that was on a TV show. And I was like dumbfounded at 12 years old. Now it just runs rampant on the TV, does it not? I mean, that's the cool thing to do now. Be individualized. I was sitting with some people yesterday uh, after the funeral talking about uh, millennialists. Uh, that's the, the, the group that's right underneath me. Millennialists, that, that they're all about themselves. All about individuality. And man, whatever goes for them is a-okay. What's good for you is good for me. What's good for me will be okay with you. And the trajectory of our culture does not look good, does it? Well, it's because of callousness. It's because of sensuality. And then he says this about sensuality. He said, and they greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They're greedy to practice impurity is what Paul says. That's what the heathen does. They lust for more of lust, in other words. There isn't enough for them. They're so greedy for more and more and more and more and more. That's so true, is it not? And then Paul changes it to say this to us, the believer. He said, don't walk like the heathens. And then he says this word. I love this small word in the Bible. It's all over the Bible, verse 20. But, thank goodness that Paul doesn't end it at verse 19. Now he gives us hope. And that's what I hope to do this morning for us, is to offer us hope. Take that inventory, that first few verses. Is that true about you today? And then he says this in verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. He's imploring them. This is not how you learn Christ. This is not the way that you learned it. You didn't learn Christ with immorality. You didn't learn Christ with impurity. You didn't learn Christ with greed. You didn't learn Christ with sensuality. This is what you learned in your salvation, he says. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him, he now goes to the mind. He goes right back to verse 17, but he's using verse 20 to get to 17. He's saying your minds as a believer were changed in the moment of your salvation. You heard in your minds about who Christ was. You were taught who Christ was. And that changes everything for us, does it not? And so I implore you with this. Are you and am I living out Romans 12, 1 and 2? Be renewed by the, transformed by the renewal of your minds. Well, the way we renew our minds is we must wake up every day and remind ourselves of the gospel. You have not learned Christ that way. And Paul is saying, teach yourselves the gospel every day so that your mind is transformed. You did not learn Christ that way. How did you learn Christ? The goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the kindness of God. 
the pursuit of God, the holiness of God. When you look at the New Testament, all those are the things that we learn to be true about who God was in the character of Christ. That's not how we learn about God. Assuming that you have heard him and you were taught him as the truth in Christ. The truth is God's word. The truth of God. Well, here's the truth of God. Is that not what 1 John says? Is that not what John says? The word became flesh. Well, there's the word. Do we know God's word? Because that's how we are to walk. As the ones that know the words of God. He says this. Verse 22. Put off the old self. That word put off means to disrobe. That word put off means to get rid of. It's when they would have filthy clothes. In that day, they would put it off. But they wouldn't put it off to go wash it. They'd put it off to burn it and get rid of it. So what Paul is saying, get rid of the old self, put it off, and do away with it. Never go back and put it on again. Act as if it is totally gone. Put it off. Put off the old self. What's the old self? He just reminded us what the old self was in the first few verses. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life as the heathen. That's what you used to be. And you were corrupt in your desires and your deceitful thinking. And to be renewed by the spirit of the mind. So Paul is saying, at the moment of our conversions, what Christ did for us is he put off the old and put on the new through a renewed spirit. The moment of your conversions and my conversions, the Holy Spirit entered into your life. That changes everything. Does it not? The Spirit of God now dwells in you. Remember, the Old Testament, the Spirit of God dwelled in a tent. And now at, our, at the moment of salvation, at the moment of the cross, the moment of the resurrection, God, through his wisdom, say, now the holy God of the universe will now dwell in you. So now what he tells us in Titus and Timothy, you have everything you need for a life of godliness. Because it dwells in you and me at the moment of our, of our convergence. Corrupt in its desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And now what? To put on the new self. So at the moment of our convergence, the old scholars would say this. There has to be what we would call mortification. Mortification simply means this, to put the things to death in our life that hamper us from becoming like Christ. We must, ongoing in our lives, put the things to death in our lives that do not uh, show Christ to the world. We must put those things to death. Immorality, greed, sensuality. There, there's, in, in Galatians, it talks about this way more. He gives us a list of what to put off. But in that moment of putting it off or putting the death, now Christ says to us through Paul, put on the new. Well, what's the new? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Put those things on. 
So you're putting this to death, and you're putting this in your life, which the, the theologians would call vivification, bringing things to life, putting things in our life that bring us life. So put off the old, put on the new. Well, two things Paul tells us to put on, and that are put on. God does this for us at the moment of our conversions. He tells us to do this. You're created after the likeness of Christ. Let me read that again. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The moment of our conversions, we become like Christ. That's what the word Christian means, little Christ. So at the moment of our convergence, we become like Christ. Well, what was Christ? He was holy. He was blameless. He was true. He was good. He was right. He was kind. He was loving. He, he was just. So in the moment of our convergence, because of Christ's perfect life and death on a cross and sacrifice and resurrection, the moment of our, our convergence, because his blood covers us, we become just like Christ. That ought to be profound for us believers. So the question is, are we just like Christ? Now, this is an ongoing thing. We call it sanctification. Becoming more and more and more and more like Christ. But it must be continuing to put off the old and putting on the new. The two new things are this in this text. Righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is the goodness of God and the holy holiness is the purity of God. Are you righteous and are you holy? That's what Paul tells us. The new way of life is a life of righteousness and holiness. Is that true for us, church? Because that's what's going to separate us from the world. Our righteousness and our holiness. And when we go into a dark world with righteousness and holiness, it's exactly what he tells us in uh, Matthew chapter 5. We, we become the light of the world. We become the salt of the world. It's through our righteousness and our holiness. You see, when we begin to take stand on things that the world are saying, okay, and we, the Christian, we, the believer, take stands the way Christ took a stand, you'll be persecuted. There's no doubt about that. But you'll be a light into a dark, dark world. And then the, the, the verse will be true. The verse will be true. That God will use us to draw others to himself. But it will happen through our righteousness and our holiness, through not living and walking like the Gentiles. Is that true for you today? Is that true for me today? Are we still living in the old or do we live in the new? Let me pray. God, I pray that we would no longer walk like the Gentiles. And if we are, God, in this moment, through your love and your kindness and your grace and your mercy, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you bring conviction. And through that conviction, God, we will turn in repentance. And so, God, in this moment, in the quietness of this moment, God, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, will allow us to search our heart for anything that is a 
contrary to who and how you called us to be. And then, God, I pray that we be reminded that Christ changed everything for us. Not only did he change our eternity, but he also changed how we are to live today in his likeness. So, God, I pray that you would enable us to put things into our life that would bring us life, that would remind us of your great joy and your great promise and your great goodness and your great kindness, Lord Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would be a people that would feast on your word every day. And through the feasting of your word, we'd be renewed in our thanking. Because we're renewed in our thinking, our lives will change. Our lives will display that. You are a good God. It's in your Son to be the propitiation for our sin, who knew no sin, so that we who were far off would be drawn near to you because of your great goodness and kindness. I, I pray that, God, every day we remind ourselves of the gospel. And the gospel would keep our hearts tender for the things of you. So lead us and go before us, I pray. Amen.